0: My guest on today's episode of The Deep Dive is Walter Fai. Walter is a corporate anthropologist, sustainability consultant, and keynote speaker. Walter founded Green Culture Lab in 2010 and is an expert on sustainability, corporate culture, and culture change. Walter is one of the authors of Anthropologist Wanted, Why Organizations Need Anthropology. Obviously, this is a conversation right up my alley and the alley of the show, so I want to welcome you to The Deep Dive.
1: Thank you, Philip, so, for you know, this introduction. I have introduction. A, a
0: lot to cover, as usual. Um, listeners, frequent listeners of the show, will will recognize what that means—that we're going to have a, a a very, you know, deep, no pun intended, conversation. So, obviously, I, I went through the book, and I want to really start at the very beginning because anthropology is, or being an anthropologist, one of those terms and professions that I think is often, you know, for lack of a better word, maybe misunderstood or or people connected to a lot of other things so you know the best place to start is at the beginning so i want to give you an opportunity to you know really define what an anthropologist is to you
1: yeah well starting at the beginning is always a great idea so i'll I'll try to um to define anthropology from my perspective which is um the study of of, of meaning in essence so anthropologists they study how people give meaning to their lives to their experiences to everything they see uh, around them to interactions with other people so anthropologists basically try to understand why people do what they do um, why they believe what they believe in how they live their lives and it's not only as individuals but people live in groups most people at least do um so anthropologists are at least i as an anthropologist are very um curious and fascinated by how people um, give meaning to everything around them in those groups and that meaning you could say is um the end result is culture so then the definition of culture the, the shortest and and i think uh, one of the best definitions of culture is shared meaning and learned behavior so that's what anthropologists study and you can do that far away in very exotic places uh, and that's also where anthropology started um, but you can also do that in uh, western or, or in my case dutch or european um, businesses and organizations and then you also find fascinating culture fascinating rituals fascinating traditions fas- fascinating unwritten rules and all that stuff that you can find far away you can also find closer home and then well there's a lot of differentiations um and 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 different cultures to be found in closer I think home that's, as well
0: that's really fascinating because i want to spend some time on the culture piece of that but also in in the in these initial moments spend a little bit of time going through that that's sort of what I'm seeing as a as a dichotomy in how anthropology is um, is looked at in in the times we're in now. Where, you know, I think when I when I first started to hear the term, I always thought of, like you said, going off to um, different cultures, foreign locales, primarily, and and doing work that was primarily um, academic, and and I would also maybe add. A little arcane um relative to the day-to-day work and now in terms of of my practice as a cultural anthropologist and and others i'm seeing it far more attached to not necessarily corporate but let's say like societal challenges and and yeah like like let's go through sort of that journey in terms of um where anthropology is is now like what are your your reflections on that
1: i think you uh, you hit a spot there because um i agree with you that anthropology was for for quite a long time very um academic and as you say a little bit arcane um but i think um this This academic anthropology still exists, but I think at least what I see in Holland and in Europe um, is a shift towards a more applied, engaged, um, organizational, corporate anthropology for for a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons is that around me, there's um, every year a great number of really uh, well-trained anthropologists. They come out of university and there's only so much place for them to remain within this academic realm so they they go through the programs and then then get kind of spit out by the academic system and then it's like, "Well, how and where to apply my skills and my knowledge because I believe it it adds something so that's one part, and the other part is I believe that there's um there's like huge societal questions around us which are about people, which are about meaning, which are about change, and those questions and those challenges um are not only about technology but they're they're deeply about culture and deeply about people so i think that's also why anthropology and anthropologists are needed more and 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 are well maybe even reclaiming their positions but this is a a challenging move because deep in the in in the dna and the grains of anthropology is something like uh, we call cultural relativism. So culture isn't good or bad or or anything. Culture just is. It's about the meaning that people attach to their experiences. Um, So cultures differ. They're not better or higher than one another. They just differ. Um, But when you are involved in um, applying anthropology outside the academic realm, you're not only describing what you see anymore, but you're engaging with it. And you're more often than not you're engaged in creating change and change basically is saying like leaving it as it is isn't good enough or or so in a way you're judging in a way, if you if you know what i mean so that's the challenge and the tension i think you see in in applying anthropology and, for and applying i, I want to spend well. some
0: time on on that because i e- even though I've, I've kind of mapped out a way to go it's, it's interesting that it's it's it, sometimes it very rarely follows the pattern in which I've written the questions, but we we are <laughs> finding a way through some of that quite naturally. So you know we're on a good journey here. Um, because one of the points I I wanted to try to get at that you describe as a as a tension is what I what I wrote down and jotted down at this idea of um, neutrality, where when again that that model of of observation that comes without judgment or interference, but yet we're in the world where, I know I'm being tasked to drive insights and to look for things and to impact, right? Like you're you're looking to change some of those tributaries, so to speak, and so I wanna get a sense of how one deals with that tension that is very different from the academic practice of observation relative to a more um society slash corporate that is looking for i think responses and answers and and insights yeah
1: well i can i i can take you through my process of of the past uh 11 years um and i think at least for me goes that that i thought well the I couldn't find a place within the realm of the of the academic world uh, to start with to be uh, totally uh, transparent and honest. Um so I was kicked out of this of this realm as well, so to say. And in hindsight looking back I'm really glad at that, um because it forced me to think about the the challenges and the societies I I saw in or the, the challenges and tensions in society I, I I recognized and I saw. Um and I thought I want to be engaged in trying to make the world a better place, even though this sounds like megaloman and, 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 and very large, but I want to just chip in my, my piece and my part. So I want to make an impact as well. And I want to do that in a direction I believe in, which is sustainability, which is uh, diversity, inclusion, into that direction. And for me, just standing on the side, describing being really critical, because you are trained to be quite critical as an anthropologist, that's it. that's great, and we need that. But I want to 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 step into the field and to try to uh, to engage uh, in bringing creating the change that I think is really needed and necessary. So you could say anthropology is is um, is part next to uh, science and craft. There's also a part of activism in it as well. So I think this is. Um, well, this is this is where my activism is, and and I can uh, handpick the um, the assignments and the clients uh, I want to work with, and and there's uh, there's things I say no to, exactly for this reason because I want to work on, well, hel- helping society uh, finding new solutions to, to yeah, the challenges that I'm we face. I'm nodding my
0: head because saying no is one of the most powerful things that someone can can actually say you know it's a small word but with a lot of power and i i tell people all the time i've been fortunate enough to more than likely only work on the things that i want to work on um, which is a great relief <laughs> to, to, to not have yeah. to spend time yeah. shilling for things that you feel are are not going to help us on this on this journey on this blue marble that we have here right you know, it's it's jumping me off into so many other things because, you know, I think that idea of of neutrality and that notion, that tension that we're kind of parsing through right now, you know, it, it makes me think of, you know, a few years ago, um, you know, one of the ideas that I that I had was, you know, I'm a big um nerd for for lack of a better word, and I love things like Star Trek and all that kind of stuff. And so kind of came up with this idea of um, you know, the cultural prime directive. And that being, you know, for those who know the show, the prime directive was when they would, the Federation would discover a new or find or come in contact with, that's a better word, come in contact with uh, a new species or a new planet. They couldn't interfere in the, in what was going on on that planet. So there was a certain neutrality that, that they had, which was, which was the perfect fodder for many episodes of the show to kind of deal with the morality of is this really the right thing to do um and and the way i kind of flipped that was in the cultural prime directive was to think about the first thing is almost do no harm and culture spaces are are often rife with co-option right this this idea that folks will Come into a culture under the guise of neutrality and then kind of turn it into something else, you know, take it away from, from the original creators or you know, reinterpret it in some way. And so as we're kind of having this conversation of, about neutrality and and co option and and or add, at least adding those factors in, I'd I'd love to hear how anthropologists can if possible balance those those forces the the idea of strictly being an observer could be good when weighed against the idea of co-option or it could be damaging relative to you know moral relativism right and what works for one culture might not work for another um especially in sustainability you know, one of one of your spaces, yep. right? The Western world yep. has pillaged and 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 gained great wealth, and now judges the the global South, for lack of a better word, for attempting to use their resources, to use their natural um, products and ingenuity in much the same way. Big question, but um, I'm I'm curious about yep. how do we understanding that. We're we're all trying to do aspects of this imperfectly. What are some reflections on on that part of of this journey as an anthropologist, as someone engaged in some of these spaces quite deeply, like sustainability?
1: Another wonderful question. I have a lot of reflections on. So I, when you were asking it, I was already jotting down uh, pieces of of ideas and answers uh, to it. So so thank you. Well, um, well, let me start with with. Um, why neutrality is in my idea so important and engaging in change also means that you kind of lose your neutrality to a certain extent so that's, that's uh, already challenging in itself But I believe to um, really deeply understand why people do what they do and why they believe what they believe um, beyond what they say they believe but what they really think, feel, do you really have to find neutrality within yourself and leave your own judgment behind at the, at, at the doorstep or even uh, at home because to deeply understand why people believe what they do you have to engage with them, you have to you to immerse yourself into their world, you have to uh, not only observe but also participate in their world, so this, this is like a continuum, participant observation and one of the main research methods of anthropology, so Neutrality is super important to really understand why things go as they go. And when you know why this is as it is, you can start posing questions like, is it okay? Are we happy with it? Sh- Do we want to change something? And I think it's like you already said, it's it's quite easy to co- to come from the outside with the cover of neutrality and then pushing your own ideas and agendas Um, but i think and this is like a very high code of ethics for anthropologists and and i think for professionals in this field at large but at least for anthropologists like you already said do no harm but also pushing people into something that's your own agenda is not really helping so if i if i'm engaged in something that's 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 around the theme of change or making impact i always do it with the people so working in an organization always brings the question like in dutch we say van wie ben je so kind of who's your sponsor and at first there is some kind of director manager ceo chief <laughs> who signs off on 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 my proposal so in the beginning of course he lets me into the into the tribe into the organization but my aim is always to become not kind of owned by him but I'm 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 guided by the entire system by the people within the system and trying to make the voices the unheard voices make them heard and then ask the question are you happy with how things are how things go and or, or do you think about change and 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 mirroring the cultural well, code or dynamics that this organization has, has created. And then, then, well, let, let's just look in the mirror together. Are you, are you satisfied? Are you happy? Do you think something needs to change? And then just posing questions. And if they really don't want to, then well, Yeah, well, let, let's leave it at like that. And sometimes this is on a, on a, on a tension with, with my own. Activism and desire to make an impact and to, to, to contribute to the challenges I see, uh, for society. So, yeah, this is, this is like a case-by-case um, decision and, and process I'm involved in. Yeah. Does this kind of answer your question?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, because I think what I wanted to stress is, is that there is no perfect way to, to navigate all, all of these, of, of these questions. It's, um, it is very much case-by-case. Case. I think all of us likely have a... You know a north star kind of guiding principles that we that we use to to steer one way or another, but it is definitely not a a, a perfect thing. And I, I think I started the conversation everyone we were kind of off microphone saying that I, you know, I bring a lot of my own bias or ideas into a situation which um I I honestly feel has served me pretty well. But putting that aside, you know, the the one other thing I'll, I'll ask, and this is again, kind of more in the society side of things before I want to shift to maybe a little bit more on the culture side is, and just kind of jotted this down as we talk about observation, I often wonder, like, do we observe equally? And what I mean by that, and I'm going to preface this by saying this is kind of a my framing of this is going to be very um, American, right? So I'm, I'm not, projecting this out into other places i have listeners from all over the world but from my context like when i think about all the work in which i feel like there's many pieces of anthropology like journalism for example um here i always feel like we're not really observing things equally and what i mean by that is you know there'll be a lot of hand wringing and pertains to certain groups like you know obviously we just had the um well, maybe not obvious, but we had the one-year anniversary of um, George Floyd's murder. About the time we're recording this, I think that was maybe two weeks ago. I'm terrible with time. So <laughs> things things that I that I feel happened three weeks ago, people will be like that was yesterday. So, <laughs> and vice versa, perhaps. And vice versa. So <laughs> I'm I'm fuzzy on remembering because my concept of time is fuzzy, not because it's not significant. It's very significant. But I remember the New York Times had an article asking like <laughs> what like 12 or 15 Trump supporters think about George Floyd's murder. And I'm like, I don't care what they think about anything. Right. So I'm, i I, so I'm not asking for the critique on that particular article, but it's the idea that the New York times and not anthropologists, but journalism has aspects of it. Right. Like why do I need to get these people's opinion on the record? Right. There's many other people that we could ask that would likely be more thoughtful and, and relevant. So that's things like that is what lead to me to questioning do we observe equally taking out the example that i happen to give that's a very american example
1: yeah i think i understand your question and my answer would be um we by definition almost we don't because i always bring myself i'm i'm not like this non-existing scientific tool i am who i am and i relate to other people and i I truly and dearly try to leave my own judgments and and, and cultural frames at the doorstep, but I'm also just human. So as a researcher or as a consultant, I always bring myself. So in that that regard, um, I I think by definition we don't observe equally, but I think on the other hand, by in terms of designing your research or designing the the work that you're doing, whether it's writing an article or helping a a corporate culture uh, improve itself. The question is, did we design our process properly to hear all voices? And if I move into this debate of of Black Lives Matter or into the debate of uh, gender inequality, There will be doors that open for me, but there also will be doors that will remain closed for me and stories I won't hear because of who I am. So the challenge is, and I think maybe even the the task is to design it in that way that you um, bring those voices up as well. And sometimes, especially when you're working in in, in a business or, or, or an organizational context, the room for maneuvering is, um, is limited. And, and, and then the question is, is it acceptable for me? And is it, is it good enough? Or, or do I expect it not to be? And, um, well, then you move into a whole different set of questions, but I don't think we observe equally by definition because I bring myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, but I, I love the fact that you, that you're highlighting the process and, and the opportunity for the the process to at least, surface these other viewpoints to you know because you're right some all as we're all navigating stories some stories just won't surface because people won't be I'm not going to say honest but they won't be forthright right like I I know I've sat in organizations and you know you sit down with your boss and they ask you how do you think about that assignment and you're like oh it yeah. was great right and in your heart you're like that shit sucked right like yeah. you know yeah. really you don't really reflect the truth (laughs) and some of that self-preservation right like it's just you know people always say they want the truth you know but then they they very often don't
1: (laughs) you know sometimes we don't very often we don't know that's
0: true you know we just want the thing that's going to let us walk away feeling better about this not the thing that's going to send us into existential crisis so (laughs) I often I often laugh at that, but I, I think your 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 points and your observations relative to the process and honing in on a process is, is is very critical. And I think that's a very thoughtful way to address that as you know again as we kind of continue to go through these things imperfectly. You know, one of the things I, w- I want to shift to, as I promised, was to go a, a little deeper into the, the culture piece. And you know, I think you gave an excellent idea of or a definition of culture. And there's many definitions of culture. Like I often open up presentations and talks with various definitions or thoughts around culture, in, including my own, which I'll share here because I want to use aspects of it to kind of talk a little bit more about anthropology as a, as a practice and, and, and perhaps the growth or and or shift in that. And so, you know, my definition of culture that I use all the time is that culture consists of the shared world of ideas and values that connect us and are manifested through people, places, formal and informal networks. And the reason why I wanted to go through that is to kind of talk about the training of, of anthropology. You know, I do the work of an anthropologist, but I I was a finance major, like I said, when we, when we were kind of chatting before we started recording and study philosophy and African-American history. And I feel those things and my lived experience, which I also talk about. So kind of the formal and informal, there's the academic track. Then there's an informal track, you know, growing up in Brooklyn at the time that I did in the eighties and seventies and eighties, gives you a certain perspective on, on culture. Then all of that kind of is used in my work. So I'm curious about kind of the specificity of how we balance formal, and informal. And I'll, I'll also add an, another thing that I kind of written down here that as I was reading the book, which is, is wonderful and I do recommend it um, to folks who are really engaged in these topics, is I saw so much, so many descriptions of the work of an, of an anthropologist that I could also apply to other fields. Like I kind of alluded to that with journalism, you know, historians, this idea of, futurist, even though I don't love that word, which I'm on the record. So, you know, people know I don't love that word. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, this is kind of long, but I feel like there's so much in that idea of formal, informal, who's doing this work? What does the work look like? And I wanted to get your thoughts on the balance of that formal and and informal as it connects to anthropology. Yeah, I have
1: some ideas on that. <laughs> How to how to kind of structure them is the challenge, but I think I think there's value to both. But what we what I often see happening around me is that people remain at the formal part of understanding what happens within organizations. So what I the comparison I often make is that I I, I come into a new organization or I have an intake conversation. And I ask, well, how does this organization work? And what I get is, is, is the map of the organization with an org chart. Probably you recognize this as well. And this is the formal story, like the Lonely Planet information of how the organization works. But in that information, is nothing about the back alleys, about the squares where you can really pick up the information about the informal ties between different departments or teams or, or individuals. So I think both this formal org chart but especially when you look at culture the informal tissue between people is super important to understand because if you if we if we move back to one of the first questions you you asked is like what is culture or or what's what's anthropology if you say culture is uh, shared meaning meaning is something that that comes into being through interaction so that's also the place where you need to look to understand that the outcome of the process but also the process itself so you could say culture exists between people in the in in the white spaces or the brown spaces or the purple spaces or whatnot but it is in between people in between the lines so that's the informal part where you really want to tap into to understand why things go as they go and and this formal part definitely gives information and the informal as well and then it's interesting to start cross-referencing those and see where, where the tensions are and where the realities differ from each other and, and, and well, try to go into that and, and, and what those tensions and, and inequalities uh, tell you about the social system that you're studying. But it's super important to dive into, to deep dive into that informal uh, part as well, definitely.
0: And, you know, when I was going through the book, there was a, a term that was used to describe you know, some of this tension that we've talked about as it pertains to making sense of things that are new, right? That we we exist in these liminal spaces sort of between one system and another system. And it gave me a chuckle because it, it was referred to, um, you quoted a, another, um, another person was quoted as using this term, um, betwixt and between, yeah. which is a term I use all the time because my mom used it. So to me, it was just always an old West Indian terminology, um, but likely also from the UK because obviously colonization and all that good stuff. So, yeah. you know, you find yourself betwixt and between all these worlds and and terminologies. And I wanted to bring up that term because I think there's a different magnitude to that state of betwixt and between and birthing something new, even as the old system is, is clinging to it, to the norms, the meaning. And, you know, I feel like we're in, we've been in one of those cycles now for the past couple of decades, right? Um, of systems on their way out, but yet clinging to, um, to their meaning, yeah, and and trying to rewrite stories. So I'm I'm curious how you think about that context of betwixt and between, or kind of these liminal spaces as we're negotiating our way into perhaps something new.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to say about that. So I lo- I love your question. I love you, you. You give me the opportunity to to talk about this. But I think there, like you say, there's different magnitudes to it. So uh, I think we've been through, well, we actually still are in 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 this um, betwixt and between state when you look at least in Holland and in Europe to the state of uh, COVID-19 currently. So the old rulebook didn't apply anymore, but the new rulebook and the, and 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 what all that means and implies wasn't in place yet. So we were like, really, how do we? meet each other how do we greet each other how we design our, our office spaces how do we like politics economy healthcare everything was like betwixt and between and the old didn't work anymore but the new wasn't there yet so there was like massive a massive power shift but also a massive uh set of emotions like like high hopes and deep fears at the same time even within the same people or the same groups of people so i think there's different systems and different Um, magnitudes to this idea uh, indeed i think we are also the scale is a little bit bigger but in terms of climate change and 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 sustainability i think we're also being betwixt and between we see we recognize the old doesn't work anymore and and how the new is going to evolve and work out and what energy systems and what that means for for how we live together how we build our society we're still finding new answers so we are betwixt and between but i think it's it's interesting to use this angle and to use this perspective to look to those dynamics in society, but also in, in companies and organizations, and maybe even to your own personal uh, lives, because you can apply them in, in, in different levels. And, and if you're, I, I could give an example later on as well, but um, I think the challenge is that systems are built, social systems are built uh, for, for stability. So the the word I already just used is that in, when you go through this this process of change from old to new through something you can call betwixt and between or or the liminal state as anthropology uh, calls it, there's always a massive power shift because when you are high ranked in the old system as an individual or 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 a company, in the new order. Well, it's <laughs> you don't know where you end, but probably the new order asks for something new, a new, different quality, a different skill set, a different uh, core value of why you build a company. So it's always challenging because it is about power, and it's also about the power shift. Um, and, and if we go back to culture, and, and you already kind of mentioned it as well, it's, it's like, first of all, culture is like not really anything, and then you start talking with each other, and through interaction, this meaning evolves that turns into convictions, beliefs, values, um, norms, and then it shifts into uh, working processes, policies, a lot of paperwork, and then it moves into the actual world, uh, into how we design our office buildings, how we design our societies, and also in physical infrastructure. So the example I often use in in Holland is that about 50, 60 years ago, we thought it was a very good idea to start uh, warming and cooking uh, Warming our houses and cooking our dinners on uh, natural gas, and now we think, well, climate change is not really that good idea anymore. And we have uh, local earthquakes in a in a province in Holland, in the in the in the in the far north, in Groningen. Even though Holland is a, a small <laughs> country compared to compared to the states, so saying the far north—it's it's 200 kilometers to the north. But we have earthquakes and we think, well, wow, climate change, uh, earthquakes, it's not a very good idea anymore to warm our houses with this gas. But we, 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 are, we have invested billions in the entire infrastructure. There's huge political and dim- diplomatic interests uh, involved in it as well. So this shift is not easy because we have invested in this infrastructure and we, and, and our entire power system is, is built around it. The social power thing, not only the, the physical power thing. So that's also why it's so hard to change that, and I think you can apply this also to colonialism, also to racism, uh, discrimination, the Black Lives Matter movement, George Floyd. So this is this is why it's so hard, and at the same time, so necessary and so needed.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's all of that is is directly where you know it's it's so fluid. You know, even as I'm thinking through it. to to kind of ask the next question, I'm still wrestling with just how fluid all of these states are and they are connected. And in some places they're strongly connected in some places they're loosely connected and it's making those sort of networked connections that I think is so essential to the type of work that you and I and others do. And as you were kind of sharing that, that answer, that response, I initially wrote down like one piece of it, which was stability, right? So the next question is kind of going to be tied to that. Then when you mentioned infrastructure, it got me thinking about uh, adding that into the mix. And how I'm going to do that is, when you were, you're talking about systems and then looking for stability, I wonder often, are we, are we defining these words in the way in which it is most helpful for us to have a healthy planet and therefore lifestyle. And the same thing with infrastructure, right? And so what I'm what I'm trying to get at when I say that is I would look at ordered systems and they would appear to be stable, right? So I come from finance and people would say, oh, the, the modern way in which money moves from one place to another is stable in the sense that you know we're not walking around with a bag of you know gold gold ringgits anymore we're kind of moving around with debit cards you can kind of tap it you can keep accounts we kind of know where ledgers are and and all the rest of that kind of stuff So I think most conventional wisdom would say, oh that's very stable system right you can <laughs> transfer money from one place to another. And I look at that system and I say to myself, well, it's completely filled with terrible inequalities. Um, the movement of, of money, particularly for high, um, for wealthy individuals is completely obscure, um, meant to avoid taxation and taxation is a, and that loss of money is an incredible drain on society's ability to affect infrastructure right? Like what we yep. what we define as infrastructure is often very physical, right? It's the building of a bridge. It's the kind of going up of a building. It's wiring or, you know, for Wi-Fi or whatever it is. But basic needs for human beings, including things like dignity, are not often thought of as infrastructure, right? They're kind of thought of as these like emotional soft things and, soft cares. and, you know, so big lead in, right. But I'm trying to get the sense of, is there an opportunity in your eyes to redefine some of these terms? Because when people say things like, oh, it's stable, I'm like, well, stable for who, right? Like this isn't stable. If you're in, you know, I've, I've been using more of this language of um, precarity, right? Like I feel like we're all, all generally in this state of things being very precarious. So it doesn't really feel stable at all, right? It feels like you're just one wrong step away from like, you know, disaster. And here, you know, here in America, you know, we don't ride bikes as much, but if we if we did in a city like New York, you're risking like, you know, you get run over and you don't got healthcare, you're fucked, right? Like you could want to ride a bike, but you're really taking a, a, a serious risk with your own safety because our healthcare system is trash, right? Yeah. So it doesn't feel like a very stable system, despite people saying, oh, America has the best healthcare in the world. People come from all over the world to get their off right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. you know all the, <laughs> yeah. all the propaganda. So anyway, long leading, but I'm curious <laughs> yeah. as to how you what you think about that and reflections on it, I guess.
1: If I just think out loud, I think. A word like like stability and a stable system brings with it the suggestion that it's kind of a neutral objective word, but it isn't because like you already said, it, stable for who. So they're always it's 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 not neutral. but I think if you look at at how a system is built and if you look at stability from the opportunity for the system to uphold itself, so no, no normative judgment in it. I think that's what systems are geared towards. But I think I'm actually I'm deeply convinced that a lot of our systems, both social and 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 um, well, a lot of the systems that we build as society, we should reconsider them and we should reconsider the assumptions that are lying underneath. So stable for who is 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 a, is a brilliant question actually and and i think that if you look at well stability also helps us in a way because without stability it would be constant chaos all the time so there's a large part that's helped by the stability and there's a a smaller part but still an, a great number of people that's not helped by the stability because they're being suppressed or otherwise uh, not being able to be fully themselves to to But I think that we're coming to maybe even to a crash in a way because our our natural environment and our our life-supporting systems around us say, hey, guys, the things that you're doing, they are not, well, not sustainable and not future-proof in any way. So we really need to reconsider the answers that we given. And I also think, and I think it's a good thing, although it's also, there goes a lot of strive conflict and tension with it but still a good thing i think that also the social systems that we designed and the inequalities that follow from it so you already mentioned the inequality between the global north and the global south but also within the countries also within the states also within holland the social systems that we designed well they're stable for <laughs> for a group of people but not for everyone and i think we should reconsider the the well the systems that we've built but this is a massive challenge and this is again this is about power and also a power shift and that's why it's also very challenging and going very slowly and and i think in many respects too slowly
0: (laughs) yeah yes slow is um slow is not good (laughs) when you're when you're no you know when you're um when you're going well i i think maybe (laughs) i guess if you're heading toward the precipice slow is preferred <laughs> but, but we need to kind of steer away from from the precipice so to speak um yeah in a way yeah yeah you know i'm i'm, I'm keeping an eye on time because i want to we have two other segments of the show that i want to get to but i do want to lead us into another maybe another section that's likely still connected to this and this is this idea of making sense and knowing when framed in complex systems. And, you know, this is another thing that I've been thinking about a lot, this idea of um, legibility. Like as we try to order things, we lose the richness of complexity. And and the example I'll give, Usually, I give a natural example like trees and stuff, but I'm not going to do that this time because I've actually been talking about music a lot. And I find like music is one of those things we try to make legible, right? Like, if you want to search for something, you're like, oh, okay, it's Fleetwood Mac. So it'll be like rock or, you know, it's this yep. and that. And Miles Davis is, fits into jazz. And, you know, Tracy Chapman is alt folk or whatever
1: <laughs> yep. terminology
0: they would use for yeah, <laughs> someone like yeah, that. Yeah. Right? And, And the idea is that, you know, it's making it easy for us to search it. And, you know, I'm not going to blame this on a streaming thing because I used to go into a Sam Goody and a Wiz, these old stores in New York and, you know, Virgin Record stores. Right. And they did the same thing. Right. It was things were ordered. And but when I think about my experience with music, it doesn't live within that order. Right. And artists don't think about it. That way, right? Prince's birthday was yesterday at the time that we we're recording this. In my mind, the greatest musical talent we've ever seen. Um, what does this music fit into, right? Like this is a dude that can play 20-something instruments. Like, I don't know, right? So I'm I use that example to kind of get to this point of complexity versus legibility. Like, how much do we lose,
1: if anything,
0: right, in trying to make complex things legible i.e. make sense of them
1: yeah that is uh, that's that's an interesting question yeah i th- i think you already you're spot on with 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 saying that if you if you if you zoom out you lose the richness and i think the challenge is to to discover the the patterns and the dynamics and if you understand them and still realize that it's a it's a simplification of reality but it helps you understand reality it's helpful like the the org chart it's not reality it's 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 an idea about it and you really if you start reorganizing that company you should you shouldn't stop at reorganizing the org chart (laughs) you should go into the into the hard work of, of 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 the people Skills and things, and 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 making teams uh, cooperate differently, and that doesn't work by redesigning the the org chart on, on on the on the design table. And in 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 anthropology, we have this understanding of thick description. So the the ethnography is a way to convey the, the 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 experience of living in a culture from an insider perspective. And I guided a couple of students over the years at university. In within the academic system, I ended up there after all for a couple of years. And if I was reading their their work and their thesis, I wanted to 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 read the words and feel myself immersed into that world. So a really a thick description. So in my in my words, I I could have a thick understanding and a feeling, and and I could hear the sounds. I could smell it. I could, I could feel the unrest uh, or just the calmness from reading those words. And if you zoom into that very detailed, rich level of, of complexity and be able to zoom out and see the patterns and see the overarching dynamics and combine those two worlds in, in words or in structure or in visuals or in presentation or whatever way you put it, in an artwork, in a, in a, in a play, I don't know. There's many words to it or many ways to it that's that's the skill and i think that's the challenge so that's also where uh, earlier i said anthropology is partly science partly craft, partly activism but there's also part of of art to it so how to convey the message how to show the patterns and still keep the thick description and the lived experience within the story and and combining those worlds i think that's where the magic happens if you are good at that you can create that magic
0: yeah that is awesome. I, I love, you know, it's we only record audio, which all guests know. And and <laughs> people who listen to the show, they're like, we've never seen video. So it's obvious to them that we only record audio. But I always feel like when I'm when I'm in these moments with gas, because I mute my side because I live in Brooklyn and it's noisy as hell. Particularly it's not as bad in the winter, but now that it's summer and we're opening up the windows. If I didn't mute myself, you'd hear all kind of ambulances and sirens and just street noise and all kinds of stuff. It's a great place to live, but it can be noisy sometimes. So I always yeah. mute myself. So I'm nodding along as you're talking, but you're not seeing, like the guests are not seeing, or the listeners rather, not seeing like me no. doing, like right on, you know, like just yeah. like really Indeed, yeah. going and, along. And not it. even
1: hearing the sounds in your, uh, in your environment. So so. Hearing those would give me a different experience and a better understanding of the situation and the context that you're in. So, well, to 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 add something to the example you're you're just giving,
0: yeah. Absolutely, and you know, I I record with a lot of people, and I'm used to like it's funny. I'm cool with like things on other people's side, but I feel like listeners don't want to hear like you know the local precinct kind of going back and forth, and we're and we're in this in the middle of this academic um. Ep- epidemic rather of like motorcycles yeah i don't know something is i gotta study this because something has happened in new york and or particularly brooklyn over the past few years where we have like motorcycles are everywhere and they are like apologies to any motorcycle like riders out there but i hate them they're the most annoying thing on the face of the (laughs) earth but anyway I, I want to get us to the final two segments of the show off the dome and the drop and off the dome is just a couple of, of quick fire questions, kind of literally first thing off the top of your head. And I have four of them for you today. All right. Shoot. All right. So what business idea do you think would be super profitable, but you have zero interest in pursuing? Wow. Wow. <laughs> a deep silence i know i t- I, I threw out a, a tough one and it doesn't have to be super serious like none of these are meant to be super serious right <laughs> so don't let profit business and things like that throw you
1: <laughs> no I'll, I'll i'll try not to um well <sighs> this is a tough one Because most business ideas that I think are are of value, I try to pursue in a way.
0: Um... (laughs) You know what made me think of this question? There's a a ridiculous movie with, like, Jack Black and Ben Stiller where they come up with this. I think they kind of co-create this idea called um, Vaporize where you can spray, like, this thing and it will make, like, dog shit just disappear. So you no longer have to pick it up. It's the dumbest movie ever. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> I always guess. thought to myself, like, vaporize sounds like a great idea, but I don't really want to be around that, right? Like, I don't <laughs> really want to be okay, around Okay, I get that. it. I get okay. one.
1: <laughs> and maybe it even already is invented or it, it exists, but, but preheated toilet seats. Yeah. <laughs> to, to stick in your, in your alley. But I think I. It, it could be brilliant in winter time. It's not that cold in Holland anymore and, and, and it's getting warmer and warmer, but still like this moment, you, 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 you sit down and you think, oh, damn, it's cold. Yeah. Maybe if you just take away that moment, that, that would be like awesome. And at the same time, I don't really want to be around it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that, that works. That works. <laughs> you know? Okay. Number two, would you rather be a hummingbird or a tiger? I would rather be a tiger how come just curious that isn't yeah. like there's a part b it's the hummingbird is,
1: is is freer but the tiger is my horoscope is is is, is a lion i'm from mm-hmm. august so maybe that's also part of the explanation here this this is like my natural instinct feline connection <laughs> no pun intended but it's like claiming your 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 territory and maybe this is something I think many anthropologists are not really good at because we are nuanced and we are we are not that outspoken and and, and, and dominant. But I think we should be a bit more. So it's also like something maybe I aspire a little bit, uh, like 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 be that tiger, claim claim that claim that claim that place, claim that seat at the
0: table, something like that. Yeah, I like that. Tigers are beautiful. They're like amazing, amazing big cats. They are. Okay, so number three. Where would you travel to if you knew there was a high chance that you would be stuck there for over a year?
1: That's I would return to Greenland. Mm. Definitely. I, I was there in 2010, so already 11 years ago. I spent there three months doing my, um, my master's field work to understand the social impact of climate change. Um, because I thought, well, in Holland it was k- kind of relevant, but it wasn't impacting our everyday life. And I thought, where on earth can you see that? Mm-hmm. And I thought, let's travel to Greenland. I had no idea how society worked, um, how 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 big or small it was, but I was I was mesmerized by the by the beauty of the Arctic, and also fascinated and struck by the by the social and societal challenges. Coming from climate change, but I would love to return and love to to spend time there, to go back to places I, I visited and to 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 visit new places. And um, definitely, if I definitely, I would. Uh, where can I sign?
0: <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And and finally, and this was again kind of silly. If you had to replace your legs with the legs of any other animal, huh. what animal would that be? Oh my god.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I think I would I would choose the legs of a monkey. Okay. Because <laughs> I think being two-legged is helpful because you can stand up and see a bit wider and 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 still monkeys can can stand up and look but also can use their for uh, limbs to 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 move swiftly and quickly and and and, and to places other animals and and humans uh can't get so i think yeah that would be my answer okay out of the hip <laughs> shooting from the hip if that's an expression
0: it is it is that's a, that's an awesome answer <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing answer thank you for for all of those so now we're going to get to the final segment called the drop where we just share something with our our listeners it can be anything at all it doesn't have to be super serious i call them like intellectual morsels so I have one drop ready for this for this episode do you want me to go first do you want to go first you're no i'm
1: i'm super curious to your drop so uh so bring it on
0: mine like i said is is i just have one this this episode and it's a series that i just started well i started watching it a while ago then i put it down because i got caught up in like last tango in halifax which i'm on like almost ending that one so i picked this up again and it's on hbo max here i know around the world, everybody has different access to different things and things exist in different spaces. But here in the U.S., it's on HBO Max and it's called Exterminate All the Brutes. And it's by filmmaker and documentarian Raul Pack. And it's this really interesting, I can't even really call it a study. I, I don't really know what to call it, but it's this very deep meditation on on. Colonized violence and um, the the mythology of of white supremacy and all these different things, which is it's kind of heavy. But I find the way in which he's putting these stories together as storytellers is actually quite interesting. So I finished one episode. I have three more to go, but I plan on like kind of going through it now, at this point now quite rapidly. And again, it's called "Exterminate All the Brutes" by um, filmmaker Raul Peck. HBO Max here in the U.S. and could be on some other service wherever you are listening to this. So that's my drop for this for this episode.
1: Sounds interesting. I I, I never heard of it, but I'm I'm going to look into whether we have access to HBO Max here in Holland uh, and and, and definitely uh, peek around the corner. I've, i I thought about it for a long time because you 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 prepared me for this question um and and um to be fully transparent and I thought about it for a long time and I think there's there's so many things, so many beautiful things made and written and 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 created um so i I kind of had a hard time and then i I went to my to my i want to say to my library, but it's just a couple of bookshelves and i I picked a book that that really brought me down on my (laughs) on my two feet which is called um the shepherd's life subtitled a tale of the lake district by james rebanks and i read it a couple of years ago and i have reread it uh once or twice and it's it's about the four seasons and the dynamics that come with it running a small shepherd farm and, and and this guy, the the author, James Rebanks, right now, I don't recall it, but he had like, I think he even had a job in finance in in, in the UK, uh, at least um, consultancy kind of thing, doing a lot of work in your head and with a computer in front of you. But he thought about what, what's, what's life really about? And he, he, he kind of walked into the opportunity to, to get this farm and he started to, well, kind of rebuild it the old ways, having a small shepherd farm and i thought it was so beautifully written and there was a lot of thick description in it so you could smell the grasses you could feel the rain you could understand the challenge you could feel the fatigue when when he had to go up at night during the lambing season and i thought it was so well crafted beautifully written and also really in, in in line of uh what i think and believe is 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 needed in this world to to reconnect with with nature but also to reconnect with each other and to kind of find a slower pace of life slow slow is good eventually but to well to wind down i thought it was really well it touched me yeah so that will be the drop of of the week for me the shepherd's life by james rebanks
0: no that that sounds wonderful i'm gonna you know (laughs) When I when I spend time, you know, I have the opportunity through the show to spend time with amazing people, and their their drops literally become part of my library. They become things that I watch. I actually added a um a show on Netflix that was a drop for the episode that's going to be released on Thursday. The guest there, Livia, so shout out to Livia. Um, (laughs) gave a a great show, a Brazilian show that I just was like, oh, I got to add that, you know, and so I added it on Netflix. And this book is going to end up in my in my thrift books queue, you know, where I'll be ordering it. I I love those kind of stories. And as a a city kid, someone who grew up in Brooklyn in, in my, in this iteration of my life, I'm really trying to get more in tune with a a more natural way of living, which is, which is um, a challenge for someone who grew up among concrete and steel and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I love these stories that I find them very inspirational. As I could tell that that's a, a book that I'm going to want to get and, and spend some time with. So thank you for that awesome drop. And, you know, while I'm in the, in the mood of giving thanks, I want to thank you for being on the deep dive with me, Walter. This was a, a great conversation. I'm starting my morning with you because because of the time difference. I'm recording this um, early New York time. And I love when I can do this because, like I, I like to say, it, it really gets my day moving in in the right direction so you know it's been a pleasure having you on the deep dive
1: it has been a pleasure for me as well for me it's 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 the afternoon the sun is high the schools are ending so the noise i hear hopefully you don't it is. It, I I looked forward to it, and, and and it was a very pleasant conversation, and um and it sparked me as well. So thank you for having me, and thank you for your your thoughtful questions and the nice conversation.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So thanks again for being on the show. Really cool. Thank you. You can listen to the Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at Far Phil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.